the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, Southern California. Welcome to another edition of this daily program on KKLA called SoCal Live. I'm your host, Jerry Schimmel, and uh, you're pr- I was here about, I don't know, a month or so ago and uh, for a couple of days, and despite my performance, I've been asked to come back. And you're probably wondering, when are these guys going to get a regular host on this show? Well, I have an answer to that. I don't know. All I know is that I'm here today, and we're going to have a great time for the next couple of hours. We have some uh, terrific guests coming up. I'll get to those in just a moment. But just a quick word about my background so you kind of have an idea who's barking at you through this radio today. Uh, as I said, I was here for about a, oh, a month or so ago for a couple of days and uh, back again for one day, and one day only, I believe, at this point. But I have a 30-plus career uh, 30-plus year career in radio, most of that in sports. I spent 20 years in the NBA, two with the Minnesota Timberwolves doing radio play-by-play, two uh, there, then 18 with the Denver Nuggets, 10 years in Major League Baseball, did the Colorado Rockies on the radio and TV for 10 years, and then decided a couple of years ago I was going to sort of reach semi-retire. I was done traveling, and I want to spend more time. I had grandchild, and we have a second one now. And I thought, you know, I'm a semi-retired. Just do a little bit of radio here and there. And then, of course, God said, I don't think so. So here I am uh, filling in on SoCal Live and looking forward to it. I'm a plane crash survivor. I survived the United Airlines Flight 232 crash in Sioux City, Iowa, back in July of 1989, an event that completely changed everything, including giving me my Christian faith. I authored a couple of books. I'm also a crazy long-distance cyclist. I have cycled across the United States three times, once in a race, twice on my own to raise money. I have some Colorado records, but more importantly, I'm a crazy follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, couldn't be prouder of that. All right, today we are going to talk to, first, Pastor Sean Thornton is the senior pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. We're going to talk to him in just a moment. In the next segment after that, we're going to talk to an interesting man. I've known this guy for a long time, probably 25-plus years. Donnie D. D-E-E, is the president and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission. We're going to get his take on on the homelessness issue in Southern California, specifically in San Diego. And it has become a growing problem almost everywhere, but especially, it seems, in San Diego. Second hour, we're going to talk to Dr. Andrew Farley. He's got a new book out. He's been on this program as well, as has uh, Pastor Thornton, by the way. And then in that last uh, second to last segment, the second hour, I'm going to talk to a man that has a fascinating Christian story. He was born in Iran, came to the States at the age of three, became a Christian, and he is today the chaplain for the Denver Broncos in Denver, Colorado. How about that? Being born in Iran as a Muslim, and now you're the the you're the uh, the the guy that uh, that leads the Bible studies for the Denver Broncos. It's an incredible story. We want to start though with Sean Thornton. He's the senior pastor, Calvary Community Church in Southern California in Westlake Village. And uh, Wilbert, we have him ready, do we not? 
He is standing by. All right. Very interesting story. I am told that he is currently preaching out of Ephesians and how that might apply that scripture to dealing with adversity, uncertainty in our times. We certainly have that, don't we? COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, inflation, all these different issues. But before we get to the series he's preaching on in Ephesians, I want to ask uh, Dr. Sean Thornton. First of all, uh, Pastor, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate that. I know you're a friend of this program's. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to uh, meet you uh, by way of radio and uh, to uh, welcome your voice uh, today to Southern California. I appreciate that, sir. I know that you used to have a daily teaching program here on KKLA, so you're obviously a friend of the program, a friend of the station. I was reading about, Pastor, your background, and I have said this. I do a lot of motivational speaking, and I, I talk about the plane crash that I survived, and I preface by saying everybody has their own plane crash. Everybody has their own plane crash. It might not be as bad as what I went through. It might be worse than what I went through. I know you have at least one reading your bio, and that was as a child. Your mother was in a terrible car accident, in a coma, came out a completely different person and a very difficult person to deal with. Can you kind of touch on that story a little bit for us before we get get going too far? Yeah, my, my story is one of growing up in a Christian home where my mom really loved Jesus. She loved Jesus before the car accident. She was a teenager when the accident happened. Um, she married my dad, and uh, he became a follower of Christ. I came along. My brother then came along. But my mom had emotional, mental, physical problems throughout her life, and those things spilled over into our home so that she had very erratic behavior, was institutionalized in a mental institution for a time, was taken out of her home by police. So you're right, too, Jerry. Your, your accident, uh, you know, happened on a date and, and was, I mean, I can't imagine. When you said that to me, my, when you said that out loud, my heart jumped because I'm not a fan of flying, but I, I can't imagine that. But some people go through more of, I would say mine was like a, a simmer over time. You know what I'm saying? Is growing up in a home with that kind of chaos. Some people have a dramatic event that's deep and, and changes the course of life, like my mom did. But for me, it was more of growing up in a setting that loved Jesus, but then there was a lot of inconsistency because of mental health issues and stuff. And the church just really wasn't good in that era at addressing those issues. As a matter of fact, the term traumatic brain injury wasn't even around when I was growing up, so doctors didn't even know what to say to my mom or how to deal with her. So it caused a lot of chaos, but it developed in me a pastor's heart and a heart for people who do go through these kinds of uh, traumatic events or traumatic childhoods, you know, things that God often takes those broken pieces of our lives, and even in your case, it gives you uh, an opportunity to speak motivationally, to speak to Christian audiences about your faith, and uh, God's given me that same thing. I would never want to go through it again or wish it on anyone, but it is a gift God has given me in serving Him and taking the hope of Christ to others. Curious, Sean, through that whole experience, what was more difficult, just dealing with your mother and erratic behavior or the stigma? I, I can't imagine the, the way you might have got teased, harassed. I mean, people picking up your mother at home and taking her away, that kind of thing had to be as difficult as maybe some of the fits of rage she had. It, you know, it, what was interesting is, and it's a part of my story, it, as a matter of fact, the book is called All But Normal, because it was, when you know, when a child grows up, and unfortunately we know this even when children grow up in, in abusive situations, that a child has no other perspective, so you think it's normal. And it wasn't until I was like mm-hmm. 9, 10, or 11 years old where I started realizing when my friends would say, hey, your house is really chaotic. Hey, your mom gets upset really fast. Hey, why is your mom throwing things? You know, it started to be, wait a minute. Okay, not everybody's house is this way. 
And we kind of kept it pretty quiet, if you will. So a lot of people in the church, when my book came out, said, if we'd only known, we would have helped you. And I always say to them, in some ways, it was great you didn't know because you loved me in Jesus' name as a kid coming to Sunday school or Awana or whatever ministry, youth ministry. You just loved me, and I needed that oasis where nobody knew the depths of what we were going through because we looked pretty normal and typical on the outside, even with family. It was inside the walls of our house where chaos was happening. So for me, I think it was more dealing with the... I guess it was an awakening of, wait, this is not normal. And then trying to grapple with, as a preteen and then into my early teens, especially I was 14, I just turned 14 when my mom was taken out of the house after breaking things and she and dad having a knockdown drag out fight, which just crashed mirrors, broke glasses, all kinds of things. Um, I remember just begging God, you know, why am I here? I, why couldn't I live in that house? Why couldn't I have been born in that family? Why do I have to have this mother? And so I think it was the internal stuff inside that probably was more difficult for me, just the way we managed it and the way it's almost like this. We never said together, let's not tell anyone. We just sort of tried to manage it. I think that was our our defense mechanism as a family to just keep it within our walls mostly as best we could. It spilled over every now and then. Every now and then the mom would give a testimony in church on a Sunday night testimony time. And we get really nervous because we thought she was going to throw a few four-letter words out in the middle of her praising Jesus, and <laughs> and it wouldn't happen. And, and by God's grace, it didn't happen. But it was really hard dealing with it and asking God as a preaching and early teen, why am I here? And now I can look back and say, okay, God, I can see the sovereignty of what you were doing. But it was really hard and really soul-crushing at that time. We're talking to pa- uh, Pastor Sean Thornton. He's a senior pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. And we're going to get to his uh, series on Ephesians uh, in a moment here. But this fascinating story has gripped me now. And, Pastor, I, I, I talked to a lot of alcoholics, recovering alcoholics, and they had that worst moment, that moment where, all right, things have to change. Was there a worse moment in dealing with this yeah. this stuff with your mother growing up? Yeah, matter of fact, um uh, at the outset of my book, uh, I think the opening line is something like, um, it was a night of hell like no other. And it, it, it basically, in that introductory, I think it's even called the introduction or chapter one, but it says, basically, it tells the story of the worst night of my life. And it was a night when my, my mom, generally, when she had breakdowns or short-circuited, and all of a sudden she'd go from calm to angry, maybe to sad or whatever her emotions would be. And we know, by the way, from now, even Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, veterans with traumatic brain injury, this is very common with traumatic brain injury uh, in accidents, even plane crashes. People who survive, if they've got a serious blow to the head, their personality changes like the short-circuiting. And that night, Mom just exploded, and I knew Dad sent us to our rooms, my brother and I, in this little, you know, 800-square-foot house in northern Indiana. Uh, my dad was a factory worker, simple home. And we went to our rooms, and we just knew Mom wasn't coming back down. She wasn't coming out of it, and she was having some sort of a breakdown. And then the police came and took her out, and that was the night that everything changed. Um, she went away for a couple months and then had to slowly be introduced back into the house. And my dad told us things were going to be different, and, and, and that was the night. That was the night. I was 14 years old, and that's pretty tough on a 14-year-old. Yeah. Man, I can't imagine. Uh, Pastor, fast forward a, a while. Maybe, maybe you reverse that. I don't know. But your testimony, how did you make the, how did you come upon the decision for Jesus Christ that, that changed your life and to put you in this prat- pattern now that you're the senior pastor at a gigantic church in Southern California? What was that moment? Well, what's interesting is 
this is a part of my story. That same mother who created all the chaos is the one who led me to Christ and is wow. my greatest spiritual hero. Wow. That's part of the story is she actually led me to Christ as a child, as a boy, uh, early elementary. Mm. And and what, what's really interesting, I remember one of my friends, uh, uh, named Roger Kemp, he um, uh, does a lot of work with Christian radio and Christian media and helping ministries uh, have a presence on Christian radio. And so I know the folks at KKLA know him really well behind the scenes. And, and Roger, when he read the book, he, he, he said to me, why didn't you and your brother walk away from Christianity? with all that chaos, because my dad didn't handle it well either. He often added fuel to the fire. He was trying to handle it in a logical way, if you will, and that just created more chaos. But what, what my mom, my mom is the one who led me to Christ, but what I did see in my mom and my dad in the midst of the chaos was there, when I connected the dots, I think, as a child and as a young person, their lives, they were still trying to point toward Jesus in the brokenness and chaos, in her mental health issues and her damaged brain and body. Uh, and the accident happened in 1962, before you did all the occupational and physical therapy we have today. But the, 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 the trajectory of her life kept pointing to Jesus, even in the middle of the chaos, so that I today can say, uh, my mom was my greatest spiritual hero, and she's the one who led me to Jesus as a boy right in our home. Hmm. Do you think you would be the same person without that experience, without your mom having no. gone through that? No, it's... I know my, my friend Johnny Erickson Tata talks about being in her wheelchair, and she'll say, you know, she doesn't wouldn't want to go through that again and wouldn't want, wish this on anyone, but she sees the wheelchair as a gift that's given her an opportunity to reach many for Christ and, and help people with disability all around the world in Jesus' name, and, and I, I, I wouldn't be the same. It, uh, the title of the book is All But Normal. It's, it's by uh, uh, published by... Kindale, and I originally wanted to call it something like how God shapes a pastor's heart to show you that, you know, but it would, it, then only pastors would read it maybe, but, but um, it truly was the, the upbringing I had and the chaos I had and still seeing my parents trying to love Jesus. My dad was a factory worker and he got what was called the daily bread. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but the little books I am. that they would yep. put out in churches. Yep. And they were little, you know, small additions and it fit in his thermos, one of those black thermoses like Herman Munster used to carry to work. And in the top part where you had the thermos and the clip, he would put the daily bread up there. And so his daily bread was shaped like his thermos. But at lunch at the factory, he would read the scriptures. And, and I saw my parents growing in Jesus in the middle of the chaos. And so I think that blend of God putting in a home where my parents really did love Jesus and try to serve him and, and walk with him, but also had all this brokenness, was kind of in God's sovereignty, the perfect blend for what Sean Thornton needed. Now, I still have, I have a lot of insecurity. I have a lot of battles with my own you know, estimation of myself, because when you grow up in that kind of setting, whether it's with an alcoholic parent, an abusive parent, or a parent with mental illness, you, you can grow up with a lot of issues. And I still battle those, and God's growing me in those. But I, I would not be the same person. I don't think God could use me. And I, by the way, I didn't tell my story until I'm 55, I didn't start to tell it until I was about 48, because I thought oh, it didn't matter. And, wow. and I just, even the church I pastored before this one, a lot of people said, you cheated us by never telling stories mm -hmm. of your life. And I just didn't think it mattered. But, but I've learned that um, God used it to shape my life. And like you just said a few moments ago, whether it's a plane crash or a, a traumatic childhood or a dramatic car accident like my mom had, uh, these things shape our lives, and it's a part of the journey, and we need to talk about them together so we can grow together in the Lord. 
you don't need my advice, but uh, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Keep telling the story. <laughs> it's a powerful, <laughs> Sean, it's a powerful story, and people need to hear these things because they go, everybody has their own plane crash, and when you share yours, you have that effect on somebody else. So, man, keep telling it. I agree. Please. Yeah. I agree. You keep I'm gonna, telling I'm, yours, too, because yeah, well, it's yeah. faith. Yeah, I will, a powerful I will, yeah. story. Yes, I will. I will. I promise you, I will do that. All right, we're going to get to your Ephesians series in a moment. One more thing, I just want to hit on this real quick. I talked to, I interviewed a, a guy named Anthony Robles. Anthony Robles is born with one leg, and he was born without a left leg. He became an, a wrestler and an NCAA champion at Arizona State with one leg. He would. Uh, do a search for Anthony Robles, you'll be blown away. But he's on crutches, comes off the mat, throws the crutches down, and hops on the mat, became an NCAA champion. And I asked him, hey, if you could magically grow that left leg, would you take that gift? And, Sean, he said no. He said, I would not take that left leg because I've been able to bless so many people because of my story with one leg. You can appreciate that, can't you, after what you've gone through? I can appreciate that. I think you can appreciate it from the, the plane crash, but I also know, um, you know, we wouldn't wish these things on anyone. I'm sure right. he wouldn't wish that on his own child or somebody else. But when, when I think as we, as we grapple with it and we begin to see that those things, my dad used to tell us in our house when things were chaotic, he'd say to me and my brother, remember what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that was sort of a, kind of a way we cope with things with one of my dad's little statements. And I think there's something true to that, that when we embrace brokenness and our humanness and our own, um, our own failures and then living in a broken world and, and having these either not being born with one leg or a plane crash or a troubled childhood because mental health of a mother, when we embrace those things and incorporate them into our walk with Christ, it gives us um, a humanness that God then uses to extend his love to other people. So I really can't, I really can't agree with him on that. I think, I think he's right on. I think you, you know that yourself, that there's truth to what, what he said. I'm, I just Googled him. That's an incredible story. I want to, I want to read more about that story. Yeah, he's, he's a fascinating man. Uh, all right. Um, I have gone way too long. Probably I'll get scolded for this, but that's okay. I don't, I don't really care. Um, you're preaching on Ephesians these days at your church, at Calvary Community Church. Um, and, and I, what I'm, that's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Absolutely love Ephesians. If you go to Ephesians three fourteen through 21, uh, and you, it talks about, uh, how it applies to adversity and uncertainty in our time speaks about strengthening, being strengthened, given power through Christ dwelling in our heart. Um, we need that, don't we, Pastor? We we need that message with COVID, with the war in Ukraine, with inflation, all these other things. We need to hear that Christ gives strength. Correct? Oh, so much so. And in that that passage, what's what's beautiful about it is it says Paul says, "I pray." You may that God may strengthen you with the power through the Spirit in your inner being. And one of the things I, I talked about when I taught on this text recently is that sometimes we think of our relationship with God like like Aladdin with his lamp, you know, mm, or yeah. or uh, Major Nelson with Genie on the old uh, I Dream of Genie <laughs> show, or in Star Wars, where people when they have a, a trouble, they put the bat signal in the air, and that hero that ancestor appears in a dream or a ghost or the genie comes from the lamp and that our god is like that that we when we call on him he'll come to us in our aid which is true but the new testament teaching is that the holy spirit comes into the heart of a person when they believe in christ and that indwelling spirit is with us wherever we go so i emphasize i think it's important for us through this pandemic the political stuff all the stuff now we're seeing on the world stage with russia invading 
Ukraine. It's important for us to know as believers that that text in Ephesians 3, 14, especially there in verses 14 to about 17 that you're referencing, what, what God is reminding us is our strength comes when we understand that he is in you wherever you go, not just with you whenever you need him. He is in you wherever you go all the time. You never go anywhere outside of God's presence because the intimate express presence of God, that's what Paul said, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Even in the Old Testament, they had the pillar cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to guide them, and it was outside of them. The, the intimate express presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Spirit of God came upon and left people. But for us, Ephesians 1, the first chapter says, the Holy Spirit comes into us when we believe, and he is the guarantee inside of us that we're secure in him until with Jesus. And I think that gives us a perspective in the midst of these personal trials we face, but also in these things that we're going through together, like the pandemic and like the invasion that, that we're seeing in, in Ukraine where our hearts are broken and we wonder what's happening. Mm. We've got about a minute or two left here, Sean. Pastor yeah. Sean Thornton is my uh, guest today on uh, SoCal Live. He's the senior pastor, Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. For that person listening out there that's thinking, yeah, the world's just spinning out of control and I can do nothing about it and, and I, my heart is broken, what do you tell that person? What I usually tell them is I say, you know, I, I like to say to God, I am, I am not God, you are. You are God and I am not. And mm-hmm. I think in this passage that you're referencing in Ephesians 3, you, you have this great uh, explanation that our God is the one who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Yet Jesus said he, he will do for us today what we need today. And sometimes we worry about tomorrow, next week, next year, and we get overwhelmed. But we need to trust him for today, and he's the God who can do immeasurably above all that we can ask or even imagine. And I think that's a starting point for our hope, is that we trust him for today, and then trust him for tomorrow when tomorrow comes, and not allow ourselves to get overwhelmed with stacking up all of the possibilities that could be. But we trust him today, that God who can do immeasurably beyond what we could ask or think. Amen, my friend. Amen. Hey, Pastor, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for telling your story and giving us some hope as well. Thanks for letting me do that, Jerry. Absolutely. We we appreciate it. All right. Have a great rest of your week, and I hope to talk to you down the road somewhere. All right. Pastor Sean Thornton, a senior pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. Folks, there is hope. You, You might think there isn't. The world is out of control, and there are some crazy things happening. We all know that, but there is also an answer for peace, and that is Jesus Christ in your heart. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to catch up with Donnie D. Donnie's an old friend. Donnie's the current president and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission. He's got a tremendously interesting perspective on homelessness, especially in Southern California. We'll do that next. I'm Jerry Schimmel on SoCal Live. Welcome back, folks. I'm Jerry Schimmel on SoCal Live on KKLA. Special thanks to Pastor Sean Thornton, Senior Pastor, Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. And I was looking at online at some of his sermons today. That is a powerful, powerful sermon speaker. I would uh, urge you to, to check that out online and maybe in person someday. But this guy delivers the word. All right. We are going to shift gears here and talk to an old friend of mine. Donnie D is the president and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission. Donnie was with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Colorado and Southern California for many, many years. I knew him from his time in Denver. Donnie joins us now. Donnie, good to talk to you again, my friend. Uh, hey, good to hear your voice, Jerry. It's been a long time. It has been that. Um, 
I want to talk about the the uh, San Diego rescue mission. I know, Donnie, you probably get this many, many times, and you haven't been doing it that long. You took over in 2017, but so many people, and I did for a long time, think the rescue mission in Denver or in San Diego is just a a, a, a building, bricks and mortar, where homeless people come and maybe get a bed and a meal, but it's that and so much more. Is it not, Donnie? Well, it depends upon the program model, and I can tell you that for the Denver Rescue Mission, because I know them well, and for us down here in San Diego, it's definitely more than a meal, and it's more than a bed, and it's more than a shower. We actually use those as a way to engage somebody living on the streets to meet an immediate need that they have. But uh, what we are is a faith-based 12-month rehabilitation program. So I have 360 beds in my 100,000-square-foot facility, and 300 of those beds are used for rehabilitation. They live with us for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get uh, drug tested on a regular basis. They get breathalyzed and they come back into the building if that's their challenge, you know, and their their uh, their stumbling block. Uh, there's job training and there's you can get your GED and there's there's spiritual classes and there's anger management classes and parenting classes. And we build a program around what it is that's led you to homelessness. Mm-hmm. And we get the opportunity to see people's lives change by walking alongside of them for 12 months. I love your mission statement. I know that people look at it and say, well, okay, they help people that are homeless. But your mission statement is this, answering God's call. Answering God's call to help our neighbors without homes. Answering God call, God's call is the key, isn't it, Donnie? Well, it is. I, you know, I think this is something that, uh, that I kind of stumbled into because of the calling that is on my life. And I'd been 27 years of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and never imagined really doing anything else. And at the, the end of my career with FCA, I was raising money and playing golf and, and ministering to donors and really having a blast. But I, I started to see the homeless issue in our city and realized that this is more than an issue. It's more than a problem. This is a crisis. And started asking myself questions around why are they on the streets and how long they've been on the streets and do they need money? Do they have a drug addiction? And God was using that to draw me into this humanitarian crisis. And it's been a little over five years ago that God made it very clear that this is where he wanted me to spend my time. And I uh, love the opportunity to watch God do great things in people's lives. So it is my fr- calling. My friend, that is a major shift, by the way, going from raising money, playing <laughs> golf with rich people to uh, being implanted with homeless people. That That's a pretty severe shift. Well, and just working with coaches and athletes who are highly motivated, tell me what wall you want me to run through or how high you want me to jump. I just want to get better to working with people who are broken. Mm. And um, I know you've been to some FCA events, and, and you know what it's like to see athletes come to know Christ, and there's nothing like that. But I'll tell you, in my, my five years here, um, I have been inspired and, and been challenged in my own life to see somebody walk into our facility broken, asking us to help them, and then to walk out 12 months later sober, housed, employed, and reconnected to their family. And I can tell you there's nothing like that, really, uh, when you see individual lives changed one life at a time. When you took over in 2017 and got involved and sat down in that chair, Donnie, was there one thing that sort, or maybe a couple things that sort of surprised you or even shocked you? It was like, well, I don't think I was ready. I, I knew about homelessness. I wasn't quite ready for this. Was there that for you? Well, I asked myself driving home every day for about a year and a half, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> I can't believe this is what I'm doing. I am so uncomfortable and outside of my, you know, just my 
realm of what I've been doing for 27 years and what I know. But I would tell you my biggest aha is this, really two things. One is that the majority of the people living on the streets don't want to be on the streets. Mm. They just have dropped anchor, and they don't think that they have any options. They've run out of options. They've run out of relationships. They've run out of resources. They've run out of options. They're not quite sure how to navigate their way out of this. Now, then they have they've gotten themselves to the place to where it's so overwhelming they don't even know how to take the steps to get out of it. Now, there's a lot of a lot of them that have drug problems and alcohol problems and they've got anger problems and they've got things they got to work through, but they're not even sure how to take steps out of that. Uh, but I will tell you this, they don't want to be homeless. They just don't know that they have any options. That's the first thing. Second big aha is that is that what I've learned in my 5 years here is that it's it's not drugs and alcohol that's the biggest obstacle to overcome it's not housing which is an enormous obstacle to overcome here in southern california but it's it's that's not the biggest obstacle to overcome it's not their anger issues it's not family dysfunction the biggest obstacle to overcome when you see somebody that's living on the streets is shame Mm. s-h-a-m-e is getting them to see that their life has value, that they have value, that there's actually people who care about them, there's a God who loves them, that still has a plan for their life, the fact that they're still alive is nothing short of a miracle, and that and that you can overcome this, this shame and this condemnation that they feel on themselves that is causing them to just be paralyzed and not able to take a step out of this dark light that they're living. And I would say those are my two big ahas. People living on the streets don't want to be homeless, and the biggest obstacle to overcome is shame, just personal, individual shame that they feel and live with every day. Donnie, I want to ask you this question, and I think it's on everybody's mind because we've all been there. We pull up to the intersection. There's a homeless person asking for for money. Do we, should we, give cash to homeless people? Yes and no. Trust your judgment. Trust your spirit. If you're a Christian, trust your spirit. Trust what God is doing. I, I think that uh, what you know what they what they tell you is is that all you're doing is enabling them, and yet I've seen just the opposite here. And look, you got to trust your judgment because there's some people that yep. you know that that, that aren't going to use the money for good, and you can't really know that as a as a person that's just walking by, as a person that's dri- just driving by, but to assume that everybody's going to use it for something destructive, I don't think is, is fair, nor do I think that's godly. Mm-hmm. I think that there are people that, by you reaching out and engaging them in some small way with a hot meal, with a bottle of water, with a blanket, or maybe even with cash, because that's what you feel led to do, mm-hmm. um, I think what you're doing is helping them to feel normal for a few moments, help them feel like their needs actually matter to somebody else. And I have seen people take steps to change their life because of a, of a little interaction that they had with somebody, um, you know, in an happenstance way on the streets. They crossed paths with somebody. I, I was out front of our building uh, having a conversation with a guy that was my board chairman with FCA, and somebody walked up to us and asked us if we had any money right outside of our building. Well, I don't, I've been married for 33 years, so I don't have any money. And uh, or if I do have money, it's because she gives it to me. And on that particular day, I didn't have any money. It had my wallet on me, so I couldn't help him. But my board chairman pulled out a $20 bill and gave it to him just because he felt like that's what he should do. I didn't ask him to. I didn't prompt him to. He just did it. That guy was so overwhelmed with gratefulness and gener- generosity that he just started to weep. 
He was weeping so uncontrollably that he couldn't even say thank you. Hmm. He was trying to say thank you, this means a lot, but all he could do was just shake his head and walk away. Hmm. And, I, and I think for a moment in a world that looks past that guy and walks past that guy, for that moment I think he felt like his needs matter and that somebody's actually trying to really help him with the situation they have. Now, I don't know what he did with the money, and I, I had to trust God with that, but I, I believe for that moment my board chairman made a connection with that guy, and I think it made a difference. Maybe I am, after all these years, after all these years, Donnie, kind of on the right track, because that's what I do. I, I pull up to that, mm. I, I say a quick prayer. God, is this somebody you want mm. me to give some money to or not? And that's sometimes good. it is, and sometimes it isn't. So may, maybe I'm yeah. not as far off as I thought I was in my life. No, and only God knows. And maybe yeah. someday when you get to heaven, you'll see the return on that. But only God knows how how He used your generosity to help somebody in a dark moment. Yeah. And haven't we all been there? I mean, haven't we all been yes. in situations where yes. God just kind of showed up in some, uh, you know, unexpected ways, and we were just so thankful and so grateful? Well, I think we have the opportunity, if you feel led, to do that on a daily basis as we see people living on the streets. Today, what can I do to help make your situation a little bit better and to make your life not as hard as it appears that it is. Donnie, if someone wanted to get involved either financially with vo- volunteer in one of your programs, our show is in Southern California, in uh, San Diego, in Southern California, in San Diego especially, uh, how do they do that? Best way to go is to your website? Is that the yeah, best way to do it? Yeah, website. We have lots of ways to, you know, to get involved financially. We don't take any government funding, so you know, we operate because of San Diegans and a few other people around the country that believe in what we do, and I'll forever be grateful that they put us in a position to, to work on the front lines. That's one way. It's opportunities to serve. We had 256 volunteers at the mission last week alone. Wow. So many ways to serve meals, to to mop hallways, to mentor students, to to provide oversight, to to help with our food distribution program, to to connect with people who are in our 12-month program, uh, to help with registration for overnight emergency shelters. So many ways to volunteer. Uh, certainly to pray. You know, we want to be an organization where prayer is our first response, not our last resort. And so there's a structured way to pray for the mission and 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 for our needs and and to just get involved. I. I think that if everybody does something, whether it's praying, giving, serving, if we all do something, I think we can change the state of homelessness in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I'm so with you. Hey, hey, great stuff, Donnie. Thanks for taking the time today. <laughs> great great to talk to you. And, uh, folks, if you want to get involved, just, just do a quick search for San Diego Rescue Mission. You'll get the website, and just check it out. It, it, and if God moves you to do something, whether financially or getting involved as a volunteer, uh, go for it. Follow his calling, but at least check it out. Donnie, thanks again, uh, and I will talk to you hopefully a little sooner down the road here. All right, my brother. Much love for you. Keep up the great work, and we'll see you soon. All right. Donnie D. is the president and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission. You, you, you caught Donnie talking about, hey, if you want to just come and get involved as a volunteer. And I say this, and I'm not trying to brag when I say this, but for years in Denver where I live, uh, my family, my wife and two kids, went and helped on the Thanksgiving Day at the Rescue Mission, and they served the meal. And I think our kids were you know, five and 
five and ten, five and eleven back then, and they got involved and they they helped serve, and it was incredibly rewarding, and it changed the path of our kids. It just changed their outlook on homelessness and and what those people are about. So if you feel moved to get involved in some kind of homeless effort, especially in San Diego, check out their website and go from there. Pray about it and see where God is leading you. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to open up phone lines and see if you might have a story about homelessness. Are you touched by homelessness? Maybe you have been homeless. Maybe you know somebody, family member, friend, uh, got involved as a volunteer and want to share that story about homelessness. It is a, it, it's a, obviously a very serious issue in our country right now. I'd like you to share that. Our number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your calls. I'm Jerry Schimmel on SoCal Live. program is called SoCal Live. I'm your guest today, guest host today, Jerry Schimmel, and uh, we are going to take this uh, to the top of the hour with our last segment here, talking about homelessness. Next hour, we've got some interesting guests as well, including a, a man that was born in Iraq, uh, I'm sorry, in Iran as a Muslim and now is the chaplain for the Denver Broncos in the NFL. Fascinating story. We'll also talk with a new author and uh, do some other things in the second hour, but we are talking about homelessness, and I would love to get your take. Our number is is 888-LA-TALKS, 888-LA-TALKS. Do you have any experience with homelessness? It might be a story of encountering a homeless person. It might be something you experienced yourself as a homeless person, maybe a family member, a friend, someone who might have been changed by a program that involved the homeless. Uh, I would love to hear from you. The number is 888-LA-TALKS. When you start doing research, and so give us a call, and I'd love to hear your story if you have one. If you do a little research with homelessness, you will be blown away, folks, I promise you will, on how many people you have heard of that you know, public figures, that have been homeless. Most of them you probably don't know about. There are a few famous ones, like Michael Orr, who was the football player, the offensive lineman, is a star of the the movie that was a bestseller, and uh, some others as well. But uh, when you do some research and find that list, you'll be amazed at how many people at one time or another that you know have been homeless, including, and we'll go to Hollywood first, Sylvester Stallone. Did you know that? Before becoming one of the most famous actors, before his Rocky and Rambo, Sylvester Stallone had to sleep in a bus station for almost a month. He had to also shoot an adult movie to raise enough money to start Rocky, that movie. Halle Berry. I believe she was homeless before becoming that famous actress. She was homeless in 1989. Barry moved to New York City to pursue her acting ambitions, but she ran out of money and had to live in a homeless shelter for six months. Homeless, Halle Berry. Who else? We have Jennifer Lopez. Do you know J-Lo was homeless? Before she became J-Lo, she was an 18-year-old dancer with big dreams. She was so determined to succeed that she left her home, even though her mom wanted her to stay and go to college to get by. She slept in the dance studio, and in her perseverance, it eventually paid off. Jennifer Lopez was homeless. Charlie Chaplin. I didn't know this one either until I started reading. When he was young, his father died. His mother had suffered a mental breakdown, so he had to move to the streets of London he had to suffer a lot before coming a legend. He was homeless, they think, for at least two years, maybe up to four. Charlie Chaplin was homeless. Daniel Craig, James Bond, 
was homeless. Did you know that one? Before becoming James Bond, Daniel Craig was young and a struggling actor. He had to sleep on park benches. He did that for nearly six months, most of it in the warmer months in London. Even James Bond had to uh, hard times in, in his life. Daniel Craig was homeless. Chris Gardner, you know, might know the name, you might not. The inspiration behind The Pursuit of Happiness. Aside from the movie based on his life, The Pursuit of Happiness, Chris Gardner also has two New York Times best-selling books. But before his story got spread through the world, Gardner was living on the streets with his son, with his infant son. His wife had died, and he was living with an infant son on the streets for over a year. Who else? Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry risked everything when he rented a theater to put on his show, I Know You've Been Angered. Unfortunately, the gamble did not pay off. The show failed horribly. Perry decided not to give up on the play, started working all kinds of jobs just to keep the show running. When he didn't have the money to pay his rent, he slept on the streets. Adam Vinatieri. Sound familiar at all? Adam Vinatieri is maybe the best kicker in NFL history. He went to South Dakota State from a small school in South Dakota, small high school in South Dakota, and uh, came out of South Dakota State undrafted, went to to Baltimore, uh, Washington, D.C. area, Baltimore in particular, to work with uh, a kicking instructor. And while he did, he lived in his truck for three months. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't even tell his parents. He told his parents he was living with the guy who was helping him, who was coaching him. He lived out of his truck for three months. Jim Carrey was homeless at one point. All right, if you've got a homeless story, I'd love to hear it. Number again, 888-LA-TALKS. Let's get to the lines, and uh, let's talk first with Olga. Olga is from, uh, or Olga from, Southern, Olga from Southern California. It's a story about helping the homeless. Olga, let's hear it. I'm doing great, uh, Olga. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just think that we are all part of one whole human, uh, that we need to help each other. I always try to help people around my city and my neighborhood. And one time I met this old lady living behind a, a CVS parking lot. And I and I just started like, being friends with her, bringing food or whatever I can give her, money, whatever. I didn't judge why she was in that situation. Um, I just saw a human being needing help. One day I called her and I asked her if I could do anything for her. And she said, yes, you know, my shoes got stolen last night where I was sleeping behind the CBS parking lot. And I said, okay, I'll stop by later. Um, I'll stop by tomorrow and I, I go and get you shoes. Anyways, that day, my sister called me to come to her house for breakfast, and I didn't. But before leaving her, I asked her what she would do, what number shoes do you wear, and it was the same number as the lady. <laughs> and I said, "Do you have any shoes that you don't use?" And she said, "No." But yesterday, I was at uh, I think she said Walmart or Target, and something told me buy those shoes, buy those shoes, and I don't need shoes, so I bought a pair of shoes. And they were the same size as the, as the ladies. And I say, oh, because I met this um, this lady, and she's homeless, and she got her shoes stolen, and I need shoes for her. So my sister gave me the two pair of shoes that she bought the night before. <laughs> when God talked to my sister, buy these shoes. She didn't know for what reason. She just listened to God. And that same day, that that same day, I was talking to this lady, and she needed shoes. So God worked things in a way that we will never, never be able to understand. We just mm. got to listen to God and be obedient and help each other. 
Absolutely, Olga. Absolutely. I so agree with you, my friend. Thank you for the telephone call. And, and there are so many stories out there like that. Donnie D., our guest, uh, who was the CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission, uh, told me he has he has hundreds of those kinds of stories. He doesn't have time to share any of them. He shared one of them. Um, but if you and, – and take Donnie's advice on this, and I think Olga did the same thing. If you come upon a homeless person and something is stirring inside you that you need to get involved, either give money, give shoes, whatever it might be, volunteer at the at the shelter, that is God moving in your heart. And that's what I tried to do over these years, and I wasn't always right. I'd, I'm sure I got it wrong a lot of times, but when I come upon a homeless person, especially in my car at an intersection, we all do that. We all do that. Uh, I just said a, a prayer. God, if, hey, if this light is red and I stop in front of this person, it that's my cue to, to give. If not, it's a green light. I go by him. I can't do much about that. But that's you saying, no, pass this guy by. And, and maybe the next person does it. Or maybe this guy is, is going to take that money and spend it in the wrong way. So if you allow God, like Olga did, to just move you in a certain direction, he is going to do that. He's true that way. He, he is He's honest with you about what he wants you to do and just follow. And you say, well, how do I do that? I think what you do is you get calm and you you listen and you pray and God will tell you the answer. He, he will lead you down that road. Man, I, this happened to me, guys, a hundred times, more than a hundred times in my life. If we just listen, if we just stay quiet, Calm and quiet and peaceful. God will tell us which direction to go, even on a simple thing like getting involved with a homeless person. I got a quick story. We've got a minute uh, or two left in this segment. Um, I, I, With a friend, this is a long time ago. This is probably 20 years ago in Denver. We went to a local discount shoe store. And Olga reminded me of this because she talked about shoes. Uh, the day before, the two days before Christmas, so the 23rd of December, we camped out basically inside this discount shoe store on a really difficult area of Denver, Colorado. And everybody who came through that day, I think we had we had donations about $2,000. Every single person that came through there, that in one day, we paid for their shoes. And we didn't let them know until they got right up to the cash register and they said, all right, we're taking care of this. And there was something about this woman and her two kids that just hit my friend it just it just grabbed him and he didn't really know what to think about it so he followed them after they left the store they went around they went about two blocks away he said i wasn't there friend described this went about two blocks away they stopped behind a building and they put the shoes on and that is where they lived they lived in a little tent right behind a, a commercial building about two blocks from there and my friend uh befriended them, got involved with them, helped them get to a homeless shelter. He told me years later that he was still in contact with his woman, and she was doing great. She had married. Uh, the little girl was doing great. There was two kids. There was a boy and a girl. They were doing great at the time. I have no idea what they're doing now, but he saw something. God moved in him to get involved because he saw something different about this woman and the two kids. They got new shoes, but that wasn't. that was just the beginning of the story. So the point is, if God is talking to you, make sure you listen, even in small things like shoes and like giving a couple dollars to a homeless person. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to catch up with an author, and I'm looking forward to talking to this guy as well. Dr. Andrew Farley has a new book called The Grace Message. We're going to get to him when we come back. I'm Jerry Schimmel, and this is SoCal Live. SoCal Live. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.